0: It is not a dialogue that should be left to corporates or CIOs or just CEOs. It should actually involve the youth because our youth are our
1: future. Welcome to Episode 2 of our two-part series on the Power of Human Capital podcast in partnership with Cliff Central and pioneered by Duke Corporate Education. If you have not listened to Episode 1, I encourage you to go back and listen to the first episode. I'm your host, Timothy Maurice Webster, an author in the area of brain and brand science. And this podcast came about because of Duke CE and my interest in capturing conversations with leaders about how we should be thinking about the role of human capital in shaping a future we can be proud of. To kick off this second episode, I sat down with a couple more of Duke CE's global leadership team. Ed Barrows, managing director based in America, Wendy Farhar, and Beth Allering both managing directors based in their London office. Let's start with Ed Barrows. Ed enjoys his two hats of business and learning development. We jump into the conversation with a case example.
2: Organizations today, as you know, are just facing unprecedented change. Uh, human capital issues abound, whether it's the reskilling of the workforce. In fact, literally, as I was walking in here, I got a note from the Wall Street Journal that said Amazon is preparing to retrain 100,000 workers in the U.S. Everything from machine thousands. That's right. Workers. Everything from machine learning to nursing, as they start to see their workforce changing based on technology and the broader environment so so it 's exciting to work with organizations like that on one hand, but then you know delivering the skills uh, that people need, whether it 's in performance management or leadership is is energizing too because you, you watch people go through the change, and that's really it 's interesting to watch people struggle a bit but then kind of have these intellectual breakthroughs about sure. I, I can do something different and I do need to look at the situation a little differently and there's something very rewarding about people walking out of a, an experience or a session that you're, you're leading as a faculty member and, and having them say you know I, I do see the world differently now thanks to the Got work it. that we've done
1: so let's use Amazon as a case so you get this mail do you reach out to Amazon sort of you know, talent or HR or whoever, and decide let, let's have a meeting. Take us through how you develop the relationship like this.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. In some cases, we do that. You know, there's there's catalysts. Uh that's an illustration of uh, something that's happening that's obviously very important to the organization and how they see the future of their workforce you know 100,000 people is a lot of people Um, so in some cases we'll reach out oftentimes um, because Duke's been around for so long we're connected to people either through our work previously or through the university or Duke corporate education or the business school so we'll certainly reach out and talk to you know the leaders there that are responsible for pieces and parts of this to understand what's happening and if there's ways that we can be of value in helping them in other cases, we, um, you know, we start to develop relationships from scratch in organizations that maybe we haven't worked in previously. So, um, you know, Duke, being here in South Africa is interesting. Duke is, as you know, being from North Carolina, has a pretty strong presence in the United States and North America. Very strong. And we like to think that that's the case in the rest of the world, but there's still a lot of opportunity to make the rest of the world aware of the Duke brand and what it is we do beyond just our basketball team. Yeah,
1: absolutely. (laughs) So... You know, looking at your work around performance management, you did your PhD in this space, technology has changed or elevated how we approach performance management? Absolutely. Share what you've sort of acknowledged and observed in your work over the last few years.
2: So there's, there's lots of different ways to slice and dice performance management. Um, you know, some of the work that I did was around corporate performance management. How do we measure and evaluate organizations in areas such as innovation, um, in areas such as execution of their strategy and key projects and initiatives? But more more often than not, people think about performance management at the individual level or at the employee level, which makes a lot of sense. How do we, How do we make sure we're... Enabling people to be successful. I don't really love the term performance management. It's like I oh, want sure. you to do something and I want to check up on you. <laughs> <laughs> what, what we really want to try to do is understand how the human capital – aspect of our workforce is aligning to what we're trying to accomplish as an organization. So to give you an example, we had Nedbank uh, in today. So if you have a portion of your workforce that is say financial planners and you're trying to develop relationships with your customers by enabling them to have make better financial decisions, you'd want to make sure that that portion of your workforce, which can be quite large, has the skills and capabilities not just in finance and financial planning but relationship management and interacting effectively with people and emotional intelligence for a lot of people finance personal finance, very emotional. So as a performance management person, you want to make sure that, you know, people not only have the right skills and capabilities, and what we do at Duke, for instance, is help train to those, but that we're testing to see if, in fact, the skills that we've helped enable people with are, are in fact, helping them do their job and then linking back to our higher-level corporate priorities. So that's, that's really what performance management is all about, is, is making sure that as we change the organization to be more effective in the broader VUCA environment, volatile and are sure. complex and ambiguous that that people have the skills to go along with it and don't feel like they're getting left behind. As Ed and I
1: wrapped, it was time for Wendy and Beth to step into the hot seat. Wendy is an award-winning professional. She opens up with the innovative approach that went into her winning her award. During my career at London Business School, we partnered with
3: uh, the bank, ING, in Netherlands. And the task there was to accelerate their digital transformation. And they went through a giant transformation. Um, and it took uh, five or six years, and they they've, they've fast-forwarded from bank to banking to financial services platform. And they had this vision in 2014, I'd say well before uh, most of the financial institutions had the same vision. Um, the work we did with them was to... The task was, nominally, to bring alive the values and competencies that were needed to accelerate the transformation. And uh, when I was with the London Business School, we built a program of uh, face-to-face experience. Uh, we collaborated with another uh, learning partner and um, provided this learning experience, think-forward learning experience, to uh, 5,000 managers in 22 months. Seven languages, five countries. Wow! So that was uh, very exciting.
1: And so, your work in you know bringing this sort of energy, this kind of rich ideas, it's this type of thinking around transformation that you know sort of drives your kind of passion and interest in.
3: Yeah, it has for a long time, um, and I've just I've been trying to flirt with the edges of that. So. Transformations start to become obviously very popular in 2016 and 17 and 18, and companies are now well into the first transformation was digital. Yes. Before that, it was change. Yes, yes everything yes. was change, and then turn. So now I'm trying. I've been flirting with the edges of that for the past six or eight months, which I don't know if that's a long time or a short time, and trying to figure out what's next. And I think there's a question here about what comes after this transformation and my hypothesis was okay well we're getting people ready for this trip to accelerate to this transformation and then have them be at a, a a higher level of readiness for the next one but i've started a conversation with one of my clients in germany that uh that supports a different hypothesis to answer the question what comes after transformation and that question is how do we get this stuff around collaboration and consciousness and mindfulness uh, around purpose and empathy? And how do we get it to stick? Got it. Because it sticks for a short period of time. And then what, what our clients are saying is the ones who are ahead of the curve, people are reverting. Why? Because there's still a cost-cutting need at the same time as an innovation and growth mandate. Um, and I think the fear is often is often more powerful than the than the ambition
1: you are clearly moved by the raw needs of the people you are connecting to on the ground, like you said it 's not really sort of a sales mission for you it 's a people mission what 's exciting for the I feel that came from this conference mm. is that some of the dynamics that a robot or you know artificial intelligent designed think can't do, we have to step up in that space, like you're saying. Does that inspire you?
3: The the last few minutes, um, Dan's slides went too fast for me to catch on my phone. But what we did hear was that the more we have AI, the more we need to be more human. And and I think that is the punchline here. And I think that's the intelligence I'm going to take back from my clients, that as much as this was about um, diversity and AI and empathy, and collect it is about being the best that we can be as humans, which is, as, as you say, this edge of creativity and dreaming and playing and um, working and being together. This diversity of, of humanness does, is for me. The top line and bottom line of what 's come out of here,
1: thanks so much, Wendy. Beth was prepped and ready to roll. She stepped right in with the same level of insight and enthusiasm for human capital.
4: I love coming to Davos every year. The energy, the enthusiasm, the topical areas the the way that it pushes thinking forward for um, not just our client base but for uh, people interested in this topic more broadly in South Africa and globally you know this year we 've got global clients here as well. Um, and, and I think my highlights today were really about, um, what's next in terms of the human capital agenda. We, we've, we've been talking about technological change and the VUCA world for, um, quite a few years now. And people are finally really seeing the, 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 the real practical impacts of this starting to impact in the workplace. So hearing about robotic and human interactions and actually starting to get some real, you know, flesh around the ideas of how that's going to play out in practice. Um, I loved hearing about you know the, the the extent that thinking is moving on beyond robots taking our jobs and and actually moving towards how do we actually interact to create a better world. Um, so I loved that thinking today. I think it really transformed how the audience was thinking about change. And um, I think secondly, you know, for me, the importance of this this conference is. Um, that it, in, in the very busy world in which we live in, and lots, lots of disruption keeping us even busier, it's never been more important to take time away to have those points of reflection, to do some sense making, not just individually and in our own minds, but, but collectively with people that we're trying to build something with. And I, I just, I'm always inspired by, Having our, our Davos conference in South Africa, where there 's not only just the human capital context and the organizational firm level context, but you know there 's a national agenda around driving change and driving um, increasing education, increasing access, increasing um, prosperity for all. so I always find that completely invigorating of setting the the human capital challenge within that context. Um, but also, you know, it's not just South Africa. I think the world can learn from this, um, and that's why we've brought as Duke more global clients here this year, who are very interested in um, not just the topical area and human capital in this context, but also what what South Africa has to teach the world. Um, you know, and that's about innovation. It's about doing more with less. It's about how you really dream big and then make it happen. So fascinating times. Uh, fantastic day. It's been great to be here.
1: You are, you spent your honeymoon here.
4: <laughs> I did.
1: In yes. South Africa.
4: <laughs> I did.
1: And when are you coming back?
4: <laughs> I try to come back as much as possible, as much as Sharmela will have me.
1: I appreciate you so much, Ed, Wendy, and Beth. Before we hear from the host and brainchild, Sharmela Chetty, let's hear from the inspiring young collaborators of Million Young Minds Project. Can you say Lamini, William Mpofu, Co-founders of Ifundi are joining us on the Power of Human Capital Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us.
5: Uh, thank you so much for having us. Thank you for inviting us.
1: So you guys are like the highlight of this whole thing, like even more than Sophia the robot. You are empowering the youth. Tell us a bit about eFundi and
5: how the business started. Um, okay, so I can go into a little bit of how the business started itself. You know, initially we all had our own companies. Uh, we're just a group of entrepreneurs. Uh, some of us also friends. Before the company started And, you know, we had gone through this business path For about six years And we decided let's actually, you know Just maybe give back, you know Let's let's find a way to assist entrepreneurs When it comes to starting a business Because we saw so many difficulties in the process, you know So when we started it It was just initially supposed to be a free online platform That really just provided some of the key skills To starting a business Such as, you know, business registration The marketing, those little small things But, um, you know, when you put a group of maybe about seven entrepreneurs together that have all had their own companies for six years plus and all gotten funding, some great ideas (laughs) were eventually going to come in place. And, um, you know, it just took a different form from we wanted to teach people then end up having to, you know, we found ourselves partnering with uh, Duke University, who's number one um, in Africa for customized education, number two in the world. So... That's really how it started. It just accelerated so fast, yeah.
1: So in this conversation around the Million Minds, did it happen kind of organically? Did you approach them? Did they approach you?
6: Um, so essentially, uh, Sharmila Chetty is a really good uh, partner and great mentor to us. And uh, she had a crazy idea along with uh, the MTN, Paul Norman, and Irene Shanley. And they said, you know what? Sophia's coming here and let's try to democratize education for once because, you know, ticket at Dove is quite expensive and they thought, you know, let's do something for the youth because the youth is the future. And they thought, you know, not just only bring kids into this place, but let's live stream this experience across. And obviously, yeah, we've been working with Jugo all along and it's like, look, we trust Infundi with this and we literally... I had something like three weeks to, to come up with something, so we literally treated it like a startup. We built it. We problem-solved. MTM were a great partner. Um, Shout-out to Imran Kassim to definitely helped us go through barriers, and then we literally took it as a challenge, and we solved one problem after one problem, and then initially we just saw it grow from just a small project of people to getting a million people, and literally going to places like Dorado Park, Teleti Prime in Soweto, and um, Mirbank in Durban all involved in watch party, which was... Uh, It was great to see them feel uh, a Sophia experience, an AI experience, because usually we like doing these things, but we forget uh, what context South Africa is. I love
1: that. I love the idea that you took the Davos of human capital outside of this fancy building into the hearts and minds of young people across the country. You know, when you look at the impact, you'll never know, right? You could end up with an aeronautical engineer who grew up in a township who was inspired by this moment.
5: How does that make you feel? I mean, you know, it, it's it's truly something special. Um, you know, when I think about, if, if I think about the only reason why I'm even at this point in time is, you know, from a young age, I was just inspired. I was luckily inspired just by, it was such a small moment. Uh, I think there was someone who was doing some sort of robotics immersion of sorts in my school. And I I mean, I, I literally got the opportunity to program a robot to do something, to do a small task. And it just wow. kind of put that touch feel of technology in my hands and at that point i realized no man anything is possible so if i can even just touch i mean one i mean that's that's not the point to touch trying to touch a million but if i can just even touch one it's it's something special because you know you're changing like literally one person literally, can change so yeah. many lives so that
1: simple spark it touched that spark touched you your creative mind your entrepreneurial mind but did you guys, were you nervous about one million? Let's be honest. I mean, you guys are well put together. You're sharp. You're, you know, you, you know, you're smart. But when they said to you, we need to reach a million minds, what was the first conversation you had with yourself?
6: Um, For us was, how do you even live stream to places that don't have internet infrastructure. I think that was a very, very, uh, important logistics before we came up. And then luckily for us, we have a very technical and a, a space engineer on our side, uh, Tarek Bauer. And, uh, we know we, we, we just threw challenges and then we came up with solutions and we thought about, okay, these areas like A, B, and C. And it was more for, um, more of a challenge for us and say, uh, can we actually do it and how far can we get it? I think for us, we approached Min Young Minds more in terms of philosophy than the actual kind of hitting a number Because we're thinking about You have to democratize education And for us it's like We started off with one million young minds And we thought actually why don't we push it You know, It's not just African kids who want to know more We start getting reach, uh, reach out from uh, people from Lesotho From Bahrain From everything Because the truth of the matter is that um, The world is literally flat Because everyone's connected And everyone can interact And everyone wants to touch Sophia And have these conversations So for us we're like whether we make a million or not, it's not important. What's very important is that the philosophy of democratizing things and getting people engaged and not letting, you know, people from parts Park or Soweto get involved. Sure. And us being entrepreneurs, you know, we're all under the age of, you know, 28. we all, it's an opportunity to be an entrepreneur and be successful. Or I don't even call this success, but I mean, to be, have a, a partner like Duke or MTN to actually help us live out these dreams. Um, so I think for us, it's, what do we do next year for a million young minds? That's a real question. When we hit a million, we might change the name to billion, but actually, you know, do we bring Elon Musk? Do we talk about chipos? Sure. So those are the things that is like, what do the kids really want to know in, in hard places that don't really have these opportunities?
1: Well, it's impressive that you looked at the problems, you solved You continue to move on. And I know that Duke and MTN are super proud of you guys. So we wish you the best as you continue to touch more and more people. And as you continue to explode, just remember the little people as you blow up. And you're sitting with Elon Musk. Just remember you were on this podcast and we had this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) From these inspiring young minds, it's easy to hear why Sharmla and Duke CE wanted to partner with them. I can't wait for you to hear from Sharmla. But before we jump in, let's sit down with Viona Watson, a NetBank executive and someone who has experienced Duke CE's leadership impact in her personal life. Viona is the executive head of HR and strategy for group finance cluster in Nedbank. Viona was buzzing with excitement about the transformational power of Duke's programs.
7: I was very fortunate to be one of the first executives from Nedbank to attend the executive business transformation program where Duke customized a learning experience for Nedbank to take Nedbank's leaders through a transformational journey Um, and it was just a phenomenal experience Um, not about technical skills but about just shifting your mindset Um, and the experience we had from Silicon Savannah um, to Silicon Valley in San Francisco, Silicon Savannah being Nairobi, um, an experience there, learning, an immersive learning experience where you get to see how innovation is is driving um, or how technology is driving innovation and solving for, for human problems.
1: It's amazing. And I'm sure from when you started in the banking industry to now, you've seen problems evolve and shift dramatically. What are some of the things that you've noticed that have evolved and shifted when it comes to how you engage talent, how you engage employees?
7: So I think one of the the biggest insights for me on this was exactly that, uh, the shift we need to make about problem solving. So being in banking, being with the experience I have, being in the finance industry, um, and working with um, largely in, in, in finance for 30-odd uh, years in, in banking, we tend to jump to problem resolution immediately. Ah, and I, I think one of the first things that was a big mindset shift for me was being introduced to design thinking and learning to fall in love with the problem mm. before jumping to solution um, And I think that the changing environment for banking is exactly that, where we have been very much a product push, service push. Um, We're going to design something and we're going to push it out onto our consumers and they must just consume it. Where The power is shifted to the consumer, uh, driven by the the technology advancements. And suddenly we find ourselves in, we need to go and... um, more than problem solve, we need to problem find, because that's where we're gonna find the next commercialization and the next opportunity for for making money.
1: Thanks so much, Viona, for sharing your personal experience. And now it's time to hear from Sharmla Chetty.
0: We had 20 deans that were here today from every school around. We had the vice chancellors here, we had SMEs here, we had NGOs here, and, you know, we had business leaders here and absolutely politicians. It's important that the conversation is not just one or two people because we need to become, the, everybody needs to be the fabric of the conversation, not be a decision made about individuals, about where AI is going, digitalization is going. And the, the issue around humanity concerns every single one of us. It's so real, right? Yeah. If we are thinking about artificial intelligence, robots, and humans, we are affected. But how do we become part of the conversation? And we create these robots. And we, you heard today it's around purpose. Humanity are becoming key. Creativity, imagination, diversity. We can't leave this with robots, you know. And robots have biases, you know, and who... Who makes robots? Sometimes it's men that develop these robots. And biases are involved in that. You saw a robot having muscles. You know, do, does a robot have to have muscles? Can it be feminine in looks? Wow. You know, so we have a responsibility to our society. And so this conversation needs to start now with kids even.
1: What's become clear throughout this entire conversation is the human-centric Human centricity of Duke's DNA. This is your vision, and you're in your collective sort of team vision. You've drew, you've driven this from your soul and your heart. What? Where was the? Where were you the moment this idea came to you? Were you on a flight traveling the world? Were you at home? Where were you?
0: Well, I thought you were absolutely correct. I was on a flight traveling somewhere in the world, and it was Davos, the real Davos, of course. And I thought you know, how many people would like to go to Davos? Why do we not create our own Davos? And the the area I thought about is human capital because human capital is the asset of the world. And these, uh, you know, human capital people make decisions about jobs, the future, about employment. Why not create our own human capital here back home? And let's start with this. And the idea came about, let's get thought leadership, get the best thought leadership in the world to actually ensure that, We impart with the best knowledge or the capability to help our country become a better country.
1: You are relentless and rigorous about getting quality people around you. Why is that so important to you? Why are you so uncompromising about quality?
0: Well, I always employ people that are smarter and brighter because I think we should uh, look at that, also employ people not from the academic world, only its business leaders from SMEs, designers that are part of the team. Because I do believe that we think of talent, we need to think of talent that are different And uh, talent that's going to actually help us to bring new ideas, push our thinking, and actually help us to become better and challenge us as humans as well in terms of new ideas. So we have, you know, designers on the team as well.
1: As a global leader, you know, you have responsibilities from Europe, Asia, Middle East, uh, of course, Africa. What do you think South Africa and Africa contributes to this global conversation?
0: I think for one we do not need to follow we can lead and being an african on the continent i do believe there's amazing talent here there's amazing skills here and there's amazing thought leadership here and so of course it's around it's learning a lot from global but there's a lot here we, we have in local. But it's combining the both together that can make us successful. It's not one or the other. It's the collective. But I don't believe that we always have to follow. We can lead. We can dream. We can imagine. And we can create. You know, I always say this, that human beings create, robots replicate. So I think of myself and the and, and country and individuals that work with me as creators. And this, the event today was put together by a local team.
1: Incredible. And then, lastly, 2020 will be here before you know it. If there's anyone listening in our sort of global network who wants to attend next year, what would you say to them if you're thinking about it?
0: Well, we're thinking bigger, of course. You know, we're always learning. Um, I don't believe that every you know single year we have it right, and this year was great but we're wanting to make it better. And, you know, there's some big names that have come to us. You know, can we do this with hologram with some big names globally and locally together, and what will that look like? So, of course, there's a plan already. The dates were set for July 2020, around the 23rd of July. So we're thinking about it as a much bigger event.
1: Sharmila LaCherty, thanks for your heart. Thanks for your vision. As we wrap Episode 2, I bump into two young women who are so full of life. One work with Duke CE, and the other, her client. And perhaps their mutual energy encapsulates much of the power of this series. Shared interest and shared value. Let's start with Tato Balang, and then hear from her client, Sandra demata
0: I'm a program director, meaning um, we've designed leadership development programs, customized leadership development programs for our corporate clients.
1: Got it. So in the process of designing these programming, it sounds like the excitement that you have is when it actually lands. Mm. Why do you care so much about people?
0: I, I I'm also a coach, and maybe that's why, so I believe so much in the potential that is yet to be unearthed in every single person, and a lot of that has been suppressed mainly by our background, our society, our history, and a lot of things, especially for the young girls I 'm more particularly passionate about female and, and 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 women so i think that a lot of people have put great potential that they're not that is not unearthed and is not being utilized
1: what was your experience what was your big takeaway today
7: Ah, oh, thank you for asking so as usual duke absolutely exceed expectation um today's davos of human capital is just true proof and validation of the top quality service that they offer
1: What a privilege it's been to host this special two-part series on the power of human capital. I'm sure you evolved in understanding the role of people in shaping the future the way I did. A huge thank you to the Cliff Central team and, of course, Duke CE and everyone involved on your side. We look forward to bringing you more human capital content. Please share these episodes with friends and colleagues. They'll thank you later.
5: I really love the event. I thought it was relevant. Um, I think it addressed uh, real issues. i particularly love the conversation about how the fear of the fourth industrial revolution and how it's going to replace us as humans and the explanation that you know robots and AI doesn't have the empathy the creativity that we've got so and it it doesn't have the intelligence that we have as humans so I thought it was really really relevant for where we are as a country